This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Pikey Joe, and the author is Michael Harris, and Michael joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Mike. Hello, Steve. Great, great to have you with us now. Give us kind of an overview of Pikey Joe. What is this book all about? Well, I don't, I don't know if many people, certainly in the American audience, would be, even be familiar with the term Pikey. Um, but it's a derogatory term for travelling people, for gypsies. Uh, and the young man, Joe Scott, was in fact, uh, when his life as a, as a boy reached a particular low point, he was branded Pikey Joe uh, as a term of insult, as a term of abuse. And uh, he grew out of that situation uh, through his own endeavours and to some extent through the support of his family and uniquely was quite successful in business, politics, social events and other matters. And it's the story of him climbing out of that problem which was a social problem, um, and in fact creating uh, a friendship, a kind of brotherhood uh, within that story uh, that made it uh, all happen for him. And that really, I suppose, in a very broad sense, summarises what the story is about. Why write this theme? Why write this story, Mike? Well... In my own family, there are people with, uh, with connections to travelling people, but one of the things which is quite interesting is that nowadays it's probably more sexy, more fashionable to um, not necessarily say things against people from different races so that people from all races and from all cultures can feel comfortable in most Western societies now all right, there are problems, but nowhere near as severe or as marked as they used to be. But certainly in Britain, and I suspect in, in parts, well, I know because I've been there in parts of America, perhaps where um, Native um, Americans are, there is a certain resentment for long-established people, and in Britain, travelling people seem to get resentment right across the board. So that gave... Joe a disadvantage which my readers would recognise and a disadvantage which I would understand. So that seemed to form the basis of the story. But the story, although it starts from that point of view, develops into really understanding the nature, I think, of brotherhood, of the feeling that men can have um, in brotherly relationships where they have the support of a friend, it may be a relative, it may actually be a brother. In this particular case, it, it wasn't a brother. But uh, how the loss, perhaps, of um, that friendship or the breaking down of that friendship in any way can, um, can really have a, a, a huge effect on someone and how important that friendship can be 
uh, and often that kind of situation isn't recognised or understood by people. Those people who've known it and um, and lived with it understand it, but many other people um, perhaps never quite understand that relationship of brotherhood, and it's, um, I believe, quite important. Now, you say the central character, Joe Scott, uh, he's from Romany stock. Is that which, how I pronounce that, Romany? Yeah, I think so, yes. I mean, it's uh, Romany is certainly the correct uh, pronunciation. It's, um, it's the, the gypsy, the traveling people. Um, the story turns on uh, someone who, I don't know if your American listeners would be familiar with the term, but in Britain we sometimes say that someone comes out the top drawer when we mean that they've um, got the kind of uh, aristocratic or highly social background um, that um, gives them some distinction. Um, within the story, there's someone who uh, who has uh, a partner who has Romney um, background as well, um, but of the more European nature. So that the Romany history builds a certain... Um, uh, there's a certain mystique about it, which some people understand. Some people only ever get the chance to observe from the outside. But I wanted to bring that into it and um, other aspects that are unusual as well. Well, going uh, going from riches to rags is a part of that. Yes. Um, the, the, the fact that um, my leading character, Joe, had uh, undoubtedly very... Uh, uh, clear, cut, and recognisable uh, Romany antecedents, which he never tried to hide. Uh, in the early days, his father, uh, and it was from that side of the family that this connection came, his father had developed quite a substantial business, and he was quite successful. And within society, the problem wasn't noticed. Um, when a, a problem hit the family, uh, and Dad became quite ill, uh, a situation arose where, in fact, these former glories, these business successes, tend to melt away and leave the family really quite poor. Uh, now, once poverty hit the family, then the uh, fact that they had Romany ancestry became important uh, to people outside, and those with a, um, a less, perhaps, than a charitable characteristic tended to be um, quite abusive and quite hard about this. And uh, and it was that, I think, that in many ways uh, formed Joe's character and judgment. Um, he had other experiences. Uh, he went into the army, and because the period where the story is set is in, uh, is in the war, he was involved with the Special Operations Executive, um, which in fact... Uh, my my own father was in the Special Operations Executive in the war, which, uh, for me personally, I think was one of the things that triggered the writing of the book, because although my, I knew my father had worked in this kind of environment, I never actually knew the details until someone else who wanted to write a book about the SLE uh, contacted my family, and we found out lots of things about my father that we'd never known at all, and sadly it was shortly after he died. So I think, you know, you've read my book. You can begin to see um, how some of the factors that have affected my life, um, in fact, 
sort of wove themselves into the story that I've tried to write and which I hope other people will like and enjoy. Now you also talk about this war experience broadening his mind. Now explain that for us. Well, um, I, I, I must point out at this stage that although many of my family or my extended family have done military service in all arms of the military, I myself have not been ever been a, a soldier, a sailor or an airman or a marine or anything like that. But I am familiar with people who were, and I think one of the important things is that this particular piece of military service that my character went through was in wartime. So he wasn't someone who suddenly chose to join the army. He was someone who was conscripted to join the army, as many people were at that time. So they didn't necessarily um, face the prospect entirely with enthusiasm. Now. What happens then is you see, for example, the rankings and stations of people in society is not something that I think most of us notice on a day-to-day basis dealing with other people. When you're forced into a military situation and people's rank is clearly marked on their sleeve, suddenly you become aware of people who can, for example, carry rank and authority and leadership, and others who perhaps have those um, requirements thrust upon them, but they can't carry them through very well. Now that starts, I think, to give those involved quite a perspective on life. And I'd like to think that that, that kind of factor um, is something that um, I've reflected in my character, because it's certainly something that um, that I believe uh, it, it doesn't. We're all aware of these things in our daily life. But events, and particularly the events in the period of my book, tend to hone some of these up. And when when you just look at them through a, a human eye, now that, I think, can be quite thrilling and quite exciting um, and quite an opportunity to open one's own mind and consider one's own perspective and place in life rather differently. You talk about a triangle of relationships with his grandmother, a gypsy, and a former SOE officer married to an Eastern European Romany. Yeah, yeah, that was, um, I think the, the interesting thing is there that um, I'm, Freem- I'm, I'm a Freemason personally, I'm proud to be one. It's not something that um, those of us who are necessarily hide. Um, it's not what it's about, but um, the SOE officer was a Freemason and he, he brought Joe into Freemasonry, which of course is about brotherhood, which is the thing that runs through the whole story. But um, his grandmother was a, um, a Romany in the sense that she was someone who had been part of the Romany community in Britain, in England, for her whole life. That was part of her ethos, part of her nature. Um, the SOE officer was the man that I referred to earlier as someone out the top drawer. He was an English gentleman, an officer, um, who Joe encountered in the war and later met afterwards, and uh, they became friends, um, as indeed I think they had been in the war, but because Joe was um, ultimately a sergeant and the SOE officer was a colonel, um, there wasn't quite the kind of um, uniformity of of friendship that, that, that you could have. But this SOE officer, I 
recognised because he was involved in in spying and other things of that sort, had, had encountered this lady who he eventually married, who had all the characteristics of an English lady. Um, someone who, on meeting, you might have thought was uh, someone who'd been to finishing school or, or done all the things that um, aristocratic ladies do in Britain. In actual fact, um, when Joe gets talking, or when Joe's partner gets talking to um, to this lady, she is in fact uh, someone who is of uh, Eastern European background, um, and she comes from Romany stock, which is why she had... Uh, she's a multilingual person. She speaks a number of different languages. Um, uh, because of her good ear, she speaks, and the fact that she's been involved with this SOE officer and his people for some time, she had a what we tend to call a cut-glass English accent. So that's uh, how she can perhaps be misplaced. But I felt, I mean, um, that that uh, kind of honed up the... the um, the uh, gypsy uh, side of the story um, and, and brought the, the triangle, brought, brought the thing together from, um, uh, you know, uh, English officer classes to, uh, to gypsies, um, to ordinary soldiers serving and doing their duty and someone who actually ultimately moves on in, in, into politics in the, in the non-military world just after the Second World War. Well, we just have a couple of minutes left, Mike. Uh, this is all placed at a time of the 1953 flood. What kind of impact did that have? Well, I, I mean, some of this is set before my, I was born. In fact, I do remember, even though I was very young at the time, the 1953 flood, which for those of you are... Well, people in my country who might be a bit too young to remember and people in yours who are a bit too geographically distant um, to know about it. But in, in 1953, uh, there was a huge flood, um, a high tide and a, a lot of rain hit the east coast of England at one time. And for, from sort of down the London end of England up to as far as the wash all along the east coast, uh, the sea just swept in, um, and many people died, uh, and uh, many homes were destroyed. I remember that well. I remember trying to get to school on that day, and in fact we couldn't get to school because uh, the schools were all filled with homeless people. And, uh, you know, it was a terrible event. Um, and uh, it, uh, it occurred, actually, between the time that uh, the king died, and uh, the queen uh, was crowned, so she was queen, but not at that stage crowned, and she came down to that part of Essex, and indeed all along the east coast, and it was something that I remember. But it did have quite an effect, because in the post-war period, um, a lot of the um, houses that had been bombed and damaged, and had had a lack of repair because of lack of money, um, really needed to be rebuilt and redeveloped, and it was almost a bit... Uh, one doesn't want to be over-religious about it, but it was almost a bit like Noah's Ark in a sense that they actually sort of, I mean, many people died and there were huge tragedies, but it, it really hastened the renewal of this area and brought about much change. And um, I thought that was quite a, a metaphor for perhaps what happened in society too, and I tried to, to bring that into the story, which I hope I managed to do successfully. 
Well, Joe Scott's story, as you put it, is told against this backdrop, and his dreams are not dissimilar as many of his generation. What is perhaps most comforting is that his generation dared to dream and matched their dreams to their expectations. So thank you so much, Mike, for joining us and sharing this with us. Tell us how to get your book. Well, um, I, Author House are the publishers, and uh, Author House uh, are available, I think, online for most people um, to be able to uh, uh, access and uh, obtain copies of the book. And uh, I hope plenty of people get hold of it and buy it. The title of the book, Pikey Joe. He's Pikey Joe. Um, not, uh, I know it's not a, a title that people certainly in America are familiar with that much because they don't often pronounce it well in the way that we pronounce it over here. Uh, but um, Pikey Joe, Pikey is, is a gypsy name, and I, I hope people will read it and enjoy it. And if they've heard uh, this uh, interview, they'll realise that it's certainly written, hopefully with some intellectual talent, but also from the heart as well. Michael Harris, thanks for being with us on Author Talk. Uh, thank you for having me. Thank you very much. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Whether you're four and a half or 100, you can retrain your brain. Learning RX, the radio show, is on toginet.com, Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time with Martin Kruger. Learning RX programs are quick, they're efficient, they're life changing, and they're permanent. Unlike tutoring, cognitive skills training or brain training targets the root issue causing learning struggles. Time and money spent on chronic tutoring is a clear signal of cognitive skill deficiency. That's where Learning RX comes in. Call today, 903-617-6899. 903-617-6899. Then join us for the show here every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. And take advantage of the power it holds to improve your life. There are so many brain training issues that Learning RX can help you with. It's not a product, it's an experience. So join us for Learning RX, the radio show with Martin Kruger. Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Y'all wave your hands, look who's on. It's the Cody Man Keith and he's number one. Now you might think Juan's youth was sad, right? Because he had a death kill, mommy and dad. Right. But that ain't the case. Nope. It wasn't his fate. No, nope. the Wands never struggled to communicate. Y'all wave your hands, look who's on. It's the Cody Man Keith and he's number one. It's That Keith Wine Show on Toginet.com, Wednesday nights at 8, 7 central. Every week, That Keith Wine Show will have guests that share their experiences, expertise, opinions, and personal lives with us to hopefully help us better understand others. The topics and guests will come from the American Sign Language community. For more on Keith Wine and the show, go to his website, KeithWineWANN.com. Listen with an open mind and willingness to learn and help with the cultural bridge. Number, number one, Keith's number one. Everybody back to the code of don't miss that Keith Wan show Wednesday nights at 8 7 central on toginet.com welcome back to author talk brought to you by author house helping authors publish promote and sell their books around the world the title of the book Marilyn is moving and the author, Irene Agapian Palomares. And Irene joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Irene. Hi, Steve. 
Good to have you with us. This is a tremendous, fun, entertaining, and educational children's book. Very different because you're dealing with this whole, often a traumatic experience for children and even adults when you have to move <laughs> to a new home. I agree. It's, uh, it, I don't know. I think um, there's so many people who, who have to face this, and, and I think sometimes as adults we're overwhelmed with you know, our duties and our responsibilities that I think only really sensitive parents stop to think, wow, how is this going to affect my child? And I think probably the best, you know, the best thing to do is just involve them in the decision-making process so they don't feel like they're just a victim of circumstance. Thus, the motivation for the book. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess it was it sort of been there all along, but um, that that's not exactly how the the whole lightning bolt came to me. But but I figured, you know, that it's definitely the time for something like this to come out because we, well, it was probably January of of two thousand nine, and I had gone to this um, this big housing luncheon, and there were. Speakers there from HUD and speakers there from, uh, you know, different um, political offices and and financial speakers and and you know one after another you know people were coming up and they would say we're in a crisis we're entering a housing crisis that you know an unprecedented amount of people are going to begin losing their homes and people that a lot of times through no fault of their own would have to move. And it would it would be, and I thought, what do you mean? You don't make your house payment, and and it had, this had never happened to me in like over twenty some years of uh, being in the real estate business. But people were starting to come to me going, "We have to move because our landlord's being foreclosed on." So I thought, "Wow, you know." And uh, being at that luncheon that day, you know, one after another, after they kept you know repeating these things, going, "We're in a housing crisis. People are going to be moving," and then. You know, being being there and listening to all of that, my head just sunk to my heart, and I go, "Oh my God, what about all these kids who have to move that that may not want to move?" And and out of that, Maryland is moving was born. So I thought, you know, it could be it could be a fun thing. Well, in Maryland, uh, as you put it, she's a spunky little girl, and she wants to be included on the decision making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's got her own ideas, doesn't she? She just like yeah. to be in a uh, uh, gingerbread house, right? <laughs> Thus, the cover, which is really cute. Thank you. I love I love the cover. The my um my model was my my own little girl was the model for the for the book, and I I say she's the model for the art, but she probably was more, you know. It, and and as my baby daughter grew up, it it probably became the combination of their two. Mm-hmm wonderful personality so this character was born out of that but yeah thank you i had a lot of fun with that i love the illustrations i thought you know oh yeah kids who can't read love books but if it's not visually stimulating they're not going to be interested that's right and at the same time you're trying to teach uh, some about architecture right well i thought you know i've read millions of (laughs) i think millions not millions but probably tens of thousands of of picture books because I was, you know, first a big sister and then a then a mom of three kids, and my kids are all, you know, staggered at different ages. So, you know, through the years, I've read all these books that have come out, and I thought, you know, I, I enjoyed the ones that I wasn't just just the reader, you know, but the ones that I actually got something out of. And I thought, hey, you know, this could be an interesting way to 
to really, you know, learn something as an adult. And also, you know, maybe I thought, well, what if one kid read the book and was interested in maybe growing up to become an architect or even realizing that that could be a job? So you go through all different kinds of architecture. In fact, uh, you even have a glossary in the back to make sure everyone understands uh, the <laughs> definition of these different types of architecture that you point out with the illustrations in the book. Thank you. Yeah, I thought that was going to be really important. I think um, after, which you probably know, you've been in broadcasting for so long, that you, once you've done a job for such a long time, we take for granted that the things that we know are, are just common knowledge, but that may not always be the case. So I thought that would be helpful. And then I thought, you know, if a kid were reading this to himself or to herself, you know, they might want to go, well, let me see what this actually means. Or I don't know, I just thought it would be a nice little reference. And on top of it all, maybe more important than anything, especially for children and even adults, it rhymes. <laughs> Thank you. I had fun with that. I like that. Well, that's very important and very well done because this Thank is this you. is not an easy uh, you know kind of uh, simple kind of poetry. This you're dealing with some uh, different types of words with this yeah. kind of uh, educational. Uh, approach. I I did. I I really enjoyed it. I thought, you know, I think it makes it a little more fun, and I think that it makes it more fun to read. It it may make it more fun to listen to, especially if you've got a a younger reader who hopefully is enjoying the the illustrations. That I mean, I have a, a five year old right now, and she's just in that stage where she's an emerging reader, and she can sound certain words out. But you know, when we read things that rhyme. She likes to get into it. She's like, I read that. And I'm like, you did read that. So it's very rewarding for them, too. And they remember usually better. You know, right. I mean, that's common even with adults. We, we remember rhyme, songs. Mm-hmm. You know, we, that just kind of sticks with us. I hope so. I, I hope Marilyn is Moving does that. I, I had so much fun with it, and I've had a lot of positive feedback. So it, it's encouraging. Well, you point this out that... The only thing most kids really know about architecture or even the real estate industry is the game Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> I realized that at, a, at a, a career day one year. They asked me to come speak when, when my son was probably in the second grade and my second daughter was a newborn. She's the one who was my uh, model for Marilyn. And I go, who wants to hear a parent talk about the real estate business? I was like... And you have to compete with firefighters and people that are doing great jobs that kids really want to do. And I think that interest for most kids, it's so abstract or so, you know, unexciting. And I thought, you know what, you can make it exciting. And I was sitting there thinking about that, and I thought, the real estate business. Monopoly is about the real estate business. So, I mean, and then I think it's, it was such a successful game that I thought, you know what, a fun book could be just as rewarding and just as interesting, and it could, you know, kind of just open up another door for, for children. So I, I hope the book has done that. I hope it does do that. So and thanks a, for saying that. And a portion of the proceeds goes where? To Habitat for Humanity. Oh, you know, and that was so cool, Steve. That brought me back to that the day of that luncheon. I was sitting there, and I, I was in this, tremendously diverse crowd, which probably only in America, right? Well, we were sitting at this huge table in this beautiful ballroom that had been redone, and the focus of, you know, the the ballroom, the whole introduction was how they had 
done all this eco-friendly building, and it was really beautiful, and everything was really green, and uh, it was supposed to sustain itself, and the, the power bills were, like, incredibly low, considering that the place was, like, I don't know, 20,000 square feet. And um, I was at the table, and on the one side was um, our mayor, and on the other side was the former mayor, and on the other side was this gentleman who was a homeowner, thanks to um, the Habitat for Humanity, um, um, the one that you put your own, basically, work into and benefit from homeownership that way. And equity, I mean work equity. Um, and I and I thought, you know what, this was just the most natural connection here, that I get the idea for the book and that it should benefit Habitat for Humanity because he was just, he told such a beautiful, emotional story about how he actually had to be separated from his family for two years because they had five children, and they couldn't afford a home big enough for them to all live together at the same time. And I thought, wow, you know, this that's got to be hinged to that because I got the great idea to do the book that day that that maybe God was telling me that, you know, that Habitat for Humanity is a natural link for that. So I hope also that it, it's a good a good source, hopefully, of fundraising for them. And also the point that you're trying to drive home, the theme of what this is all about. We all talk about houses, uh, but you say this. Even though you see all these different styles of houses, the only really important thing, not the house. Right. It's the right. people it's inside not. that makes it our home. That's right. Thank you. I, and, I, you know, originally that was going to be the title of the book. It was going to be It's Not the House. But I thought, you know, it's not very positive. And I thought, Marilyn is moving. That's positive. Plus, it's alliterative. I like that. <laughs> but, yeah, and I thought, regardless of where the house is or what the house looks like, not even what's important. What's important is, is who lives inside. So, so I he, thought, you know, that that would be a nice a nice way to, to end the story on a positive note because that's really what it's all about. Any closing thoughts? Yeah. I hope everyone who hears the interview goes and buys a book. <laughs> <laughs> and the second book is coming. Yes, it'll come out um, this year, hopefully closer to the end of the year. It's called Mealtime at Maryland's. And, uh, it also involves my education as a parent, and it's about mealtime negotiations. So Mealtime at Maryland's is uh, kind of a sequel to Maryland is Moving, and it's going to be fun, very fun. Irene, tell us how to get Maryland is Moving. Thank you, Steve. Um, well, I, you know, almost anywhere online, Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, of course, Author House Bookstore. Um, and I also have a website. It's... Uh, my name, which is not so easy to remember, but it's just Irene, I-R-E-N-E, Agapian, A-G-A-P-I-O-N dot com. But you can Google Maryland is Moving and, it, and how to buy the book always pops right up. Irene, thanks for being with us on Author Talk. Steve, thank you so much for having me. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Coming live from Seattle, Washington, home of the biggest and best internet companies on the World Wide Web, it's SEO Radio, starring Brandon Knott. Tuesday nights at 10 Central, 8 p.m. Pacific on Toginet.com. SEO Radio. This pioneering internet and social media entrepreneur will share some of his most super efficient opportunities with you, small business owners, and future entrepreneurs to help you build a future like Amazon or Expedia Online. 
There's never been a marketing strategy that's been so effective at allowing small businesses to compete with the big boys. And Brandon now helps you learn these easy as one, two, three. SEO. For more on Brandon, check out his website, SeattleOrganicSEO.com. SEO Radio. Get set for SEO Radio, starring Brandon Nye. Tuesday nights at 10 Central, 8 p.m. Pacific on Toginet.com. Do holidays and celebrations get you down and leave you feeling frazzled? Then join Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon, 11 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Sandy will help you discover the secrets to having the celebrations you've always dreamed of while adding fun and meaning to your life. From Valentine's Day to Christmas to special family events, Sandy Fowler will show you how to put the fun and meaning back into those special days by taking a look at what we can do to turn the upcoming holidays into cherished memories and show us how to allow it to intertwine with everyday life. For more on the show, Sandy, and to receive Sandy's Holiday Happiness Booklet, go to HeartfilledHolidays.com. Then get set to discover the secrets to creating happy holidays and happy everydays by joining Sandy Fowler and her guests on Heartfilled Holidays every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time on Toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, You Can Be Rich Too, How to Break Free from the Shackles of Poverty. And the author is Philip Nuwatcha. And Philip joins us now on Author Talk all the way from Nigeria. Hello, Philip. Hello. Good to have you with us, Philip. I'm going to read a couple of things you've written just to set the stage for our talk about your book, You Can Be Rich Too. You say this. My book is a poverty emancipation book that teaches the practicality of God's Word on how to be free from the shackles of poverty. It teaches on what the rich know and do that the poor are not doing and is aimed at getting people provoked to embark on positive, scripturally endorsed actions to end poverty for themselves and their families. Well, this is a how-to spiritually to bring, I guess, financial independence eventually. Uh, You're proof that these principles work. Uh, You started at a very challenged place, didn't you, in your life? That's correct. First, I I must thank God for the um, grace to write um, the book. Um, Then I believe that um, the book... Um, would be uh, a great benefit to um, the body of Christ and to humanity in general. Um, Let me just give you a little brief of uh, my background. Um, I I am a consumer banker with over 13 years uh, of covenant experience covering consumers through commercial and banking investment, or investment banking rather, and then six six of the years I've been in uh, management positions I am currently leading one of uh, the branches in a new generation bank in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, educationally, I hold a bachelor's degree in banking and finance from the University of Podakot, uh, Nigeria, and then I have a master's degree in uh, Biz Admin. I'm equally a, a chartered, uh, chartered banker and um, an associate of the Chartered Institute of Bankers of Nigeria. Um, as um, a trained financial advisor, motivational speaker, 
uh, seasoned Bible scholar. I have been involved for over five years in educating, coaching people on how to wriggle out of poverty, delivering lectures and then holding seminars and workshops across many churches and secular organizations in Nigeria. Well, being a practical example of one who defied on sovereign poor beginning and then steadily stepping up in the ladder of um, prosperity, ladder of prosperity, uh, I know on a first-hand basis that anyone who diligently applies the scriptural and financial principles, as enunciated in my book, is sure on the way to increase. I am a beneficiary of the tenets contained therein in the book. They work for me and can work for anyone that dares to key in. In fact, as a matter of fact, um, I, I had a very um, poor beginning, and then by the grace of God, one has come up to be what I am today, and I'm proud of that, and I'm moving up in life, and then I have that born, a burning desire to talk to people that are in poor conditions and then urge them out to take the challenge on and then move on out, out, out of poverty. I believe that um, if we begin to enunciate some of the principles enunciated in my book, and then they work, and then uh, they work for me, and they work also for people that are there too, and they work for anybody that cares um, applying them also. Well, you believe that God's first command to everyone, to all his children, is to prosper. That's correct. In, in, the, in the book of um, Genesis, chapter 1, the very first command that uh, um, God gave to man um, is um, that they should multiply and then um, uh, dominate. They should replenish the earth. That's the very first command to God of God to man. That um, very first command of God predates even the law. And that word of God is as real as today as it was then. So the, 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 the very first plan of God is for man to prosper in life. Three-dimensional prosperity, prosper in, 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 in health, prosper spiritually, and prosper in material acquisition. That is the plan of God for man. Now, Jesus taught in chapter 2 you talk about the teachings of jesus on money making give us some of those uh, principles as well as these principles of money management as well yeah in 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 in, in Matthew 25 from verse 14 down jesus enunciated um um or spoke about the uh, parable of the talents um one of the one of the servants um talked about a man going on a far journey and then um gave part of his resources um, to three of the servants. Uh, one, he gave five talents. The other, he gave two, and the other one, one talent. Each man according to his several ability. If you look at that scriptural uh, verses, uh, and, uh, the scriptural verses carefully, you'll understand there, it's very clear that all resources belong to God. Because um, the man there on the journey gave part of what he has to those servants. He tells us that every resource belongs to God. Even the scripture tells us that the earth is of the Lord and the fullness thereof. And what God gives to us is part of what he has. Every wealth that comes into our hands today is part of the resources that God has. And um, God expects us to manage those wealth in, um, in incremental form that will bring glory to him and blessings to humanity. For the uh, two servants that got five and two talents that went into work. The Bible said they went into trading, and they were able to grow the resources that were handed down to them. 
and they received some commendation from, from the masters. But for the talent, for the servant that was lazy, that saw his master as wicked, that saw the master as hard, a man that never sold, um, or never tried to read where he never sold, the Bible called him lazy and wicked servant. And then um, he got the sharpest rebuke of his uh, life. And then uh, the, 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 the scripture there makes us to understand too. Jesus was telling the man, but you could have put my money uh, with the banks so that I'm coming back and receive my money and the, and the interest. You see, um, the, 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 the Lord very clearly tells us there, you can put the money you have into various creative ventures and then grow the resources that God has given uh, um, to you. And if you look at that scripture very well too, um, it tells us about the mindsets of those that are increasing um, uh, financially and the mindsets of those that are not doing well financially. Uh, for example, the two servants that did well, they had that abundance mentality. They were appreciative of what God gave to them, and they knew also that they were going to come back to God and give account of what they did. The Bible equally um, makes us to understand, even from that um, portion of the scriptures, that uh, they were commended by the Master for doing very, very well. And uh, as a result of that commendation, it goes well to tell us also that if any man is doing well financially, there is joy and happiness that come therein. But if any man is struggling financially, if any man is not adding up financially, there are pains. In fact, poverty um, is associated with pains, is associated with shame, is associated with mockery, is associated with blackness of life. And that is why you see in the land today many people that are poor are filled with complaints, murmurings, and they tend to blame every other person for their financial woes other than themselves. And then from that portion of the street, Jesus trying to tell us that one should be able to take financial responsibility, be responsible for your financial actions. And then when you take responsibility for your, your actions, then you will not begin to stand to blame any other person for not doing well financially. So we are what we think. That's correct. Exactly what we think. The scripture tells us as a man thinks, so he is. Um, the, the poverty does not just, uh, sorry, um, um, riches does not just start overnight. It starts through mind reorientation. Um, it, it, from in this part of the world where we belong, people um, that are poor believe that they are poor for so many things. People blame God. People blame their background. People blame their parents. You blame the government. You blame this and you blame that. And then um, people don't settle down to think through the process that um, they can reorientate their, their, their mindset. Because if you think poor in the heart, your actions will be poor-oriented. If you think about abundance, and I, I want to tell you, like I, I put in one of the places in the book, the universe has a way of causing you to attract that abundance yourself. So we are exactly what we think. And you point this out with, with comparative uh, lifestyles, of Abraham and Lazarus. Correct. If you look at the scriptures very well, in, in, in Genesis chapter 11, um, the Bible tells us, it gave us the background of, um, of Abraham, uh, while Abraham was living with the, with the, with the, uh, with the father, Terah, before um, the intervention of the God factor. Abraham was everything but failure before God intervened in his life in Genesis chapter 12. If you look at the family history of Abraham, um, Abraham um, was the first son of um, Terah, and then, um, but he never had a first head start in life. Um, his younger brother, the father of uh, Lot, had a better head start in life um, um, before Abraham. 
he began to do well before Abraham. And if you look at it, this, that portion of the scripture, critically also, the scripture told us at a point Abraham was um, a, a, a economically dependent upon the father. That was why the father, the scripture could tell us that Abraham, sorry, Terah took Abraham and Sarah. It, it, it goes to point that at that stage in Abraham's life, Abraham was dependent on, on the father. But when the father died and um, 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 Abraham um, um, was called by God, that set the stage for a new beginning for Abraham. At age of, age of 75, um, anybody could have given up hope at that point in time, but he never gave up hope. He began to believe God and began to trust God. And as he began to work with God, he began to prosper spiritually and he began to prosper financially. He began to prosper in everything he laid his life. In fact, the scripture tells us that God blessed Abraham in all things. And that included blessings, uh, um, materially, spiritual blessings, and including having issues also, because that, the scripture tells us that when Isaac was born into his home. Now, if you look at um, Abraham's lifestyle and look at Lazarus' lifestyle, many of us Christians claim like Abraham, but rather than live like Abraham, believe God like Abraham, and then live like Abraham. Many of us believe God like Abraham, but live like Lazarus. Lazarus was um, somebody that believed in God quite well, but he had it rough financially in life. I wouldn't want to believe that anybody in this age would want to have dogs lick his wounds like they did to Lazarus. But albeit Lazarus died in the Lord and then went to heaven. But we are not meant to uh, be um, earthly useful or heavenly useful to be earthly useless. That's not the point here. The point here is that um, we can believe God like Abraham did, we can do well financially like Abraham did. And in, 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 on, on, the, on, on that note also, we can equally still serve God and then not um, be carried away with riches. Um, most times people believe that when you have um, the, the, the gold, you forget about the God. No, they will serve the God that brings the gold. That's the issue. Abraham proved that point. And if we believe in the God of Abraham, we should equally live the lifestyle of Abraham and not um, um, allow people to mock our faith and mock our lifestyles when we begin to live like Lazarus, why claiming to be people that believe God like Abraham? And in today's economic realities, uh, one income stream may not be enough. So you have to learn, you have to have financial intelligence to learn how to develop more than one income stream. Yeah, scripturally, scripturally this is a fact that is very clear in the scriptures. But many people, and sadly enough, Christians also have not learned uh, this. The scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes 1 that we should um, pass our bread upon many waters and you should have it after many days. If you look at that scripture very well, God was telling us about having various income streams. That was exactly the message that God was telling us at that point in time in the scriptures. And um, Psalm chapter 1 also is very clear about this also. About um, when the scripture tells us that um, you shall be like a tree planted by the riverside that brings forth its fruit at its season, and your leaves will not wither. The Bible is talking also uh, about having various income streams. The truth about this um, time we are living in is this, especially people that are having fixed income, fixed income. It's very difficult, especially in this part of the world, for people to measure with one income, especially with the rate of inflation and then the, 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 the turbulent times we're having in the economy at this point in time. So it is very clear from the scripture that people should uh, begin to create additional sources of income. 
If you have one or two, if you have two or three, there is no, no, no wrong in adding as many sources of income as possible. The idea is this. There are some investments you make today that could um, um, be productive, could yield in your rainy season. There are some that frequently yield in your dry season. And if you have all fruity um, season and, and uh, all season fruity um, investment, well and good for you. So the scripture is very, very clear. And the sons of men, especially Christians, the people of God, should listen to what God has been telling us and then begin to create this. As a matter of fact, Abraham himself never invested in one area. The scripture was very clear when the scripture told us that Abraham prospered in cattle, Abraham had gold, Abraham had silver. What I want people to take from there is this. You can take cattle to be investment in perishable items, foodstuffs and all the rest of them. Look at gold. God, gold appreciates with time. Abraham invested also in investments that never diminishes with inflation and all the rest of them. So we need to diversify our investment so that, to, that we it, it enable us to have a comfortable and a lifestyle. And if the, if one, one, one investment stream is going down, other investment streams will, will be supportive. The title of the book, You Can Be Rich Too, How to Break Free from the Shackles of Poverty, the author is Philip Nwaka. And Philip, tell us how to get your book. My book is already in the night. People can log on to the website of Amazon. People can log on to uh, Auto House website and then get um, copies there, especially for people in the West. We're making arrangements to um, get copies um, in Nigeria here and in our neighboring countries so that um, people that are not exposed to Internet and all the rest of them can have their copies also. But the book is already in the net and people can place all that also through um, uh, Auto, House UK, Auto House UK. Thanks for being with us on Author Talk. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure having you.